The sponsor of our show today is CNE Wildlife. CNE Wildlife partnered up with North American Deer Talk. We're incredibly grateful for that. If you get a, a chance or an opportunity, say thank you to them. And the reason is really simple. They have 30 years of commitment to all natural probiotics. This commitment's really a passion for them. And they've established that through university research at Texas Tech. Whether that be their fawn paste, their top score product, their show choice, farm pack, all the various products they have, they really provide a service and a set of products that helps your herd thrive. Give Sadie a call over there at CNE and uh, order up some good stuff. We think you'll like it. We know we do. We've been uh, product users for almost 15 years now. Um, we feel it's the best around. So get you some CNE wildlife today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of North American Deer Talk. This is episode 57. I have Jared Berry in the virtual studio today. Jared, how are you? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing really well. Um, today, we are going to be talking private deer management, our favorite topic, because that is what we do uh, in our, our lives and why it matters. So um, I'm really glad that you were able to join me again. Before we get to uh, get started. I just want to, um, first off, if you're watching on YouTube, thank you. We appreciate it. Make sure you, uh, hit that subscribe button, like the videos. If you can share them out to somebody that you would, um, you know, that, that you think would find it beneficial. Also, they have this, uh, fancy little bell button somewhere around here and, uh, all the YouTube influencers, uh, say, Hey, you got to hit that. So, um, make sure you do that. I guess that, that helps, um, remind you when new videos are, are posting and we've been ripping through videos once a week. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, uh, make sure you subscribe, whether that be through Apple podcasts, um, any of the, the Android apps, and we are moving up in the world. We are on Spotify. Yes. The great Spotify. So if you listen to your musics or podcast, uh, through there, Make sure you hit uh, hit the subscribe button th button for uh, North American Deer Talk. With that said, uh, I appreciate everybody uh, sticking with us through the housekeeping. Um, Jared, you know you and I have have done uh, you know quite a few podcasts together here um, in the fundamentals uh, section of North American Deer Talk. We talked about a variety of different topics, and we keep coming back to the idea of of private deer management and, and why it really matters to us, why it's important. And I, I want to, I want to delve into that, um, a bit more today. I think the best place to start would kind of be with, um, you know, how our, our origin stories were and, and our relationship with the outdoors and nature from, from early on. Uh, I think that lays a good context for, um, for where we're going to go. So you just want to talk about your, your kind of early days, um, through childhood and your interactions with, with nature and family and things like that. Sure. Uh, I was fortunate to grow up on farms in Southeastern Pennsylvania, Lebanon County. Um, we had a, we have hog cattle, cash crop and we had a trucking trash business uh, our family did growing up uh the farms themselves were uh where i began my my hunting career if you want to say that or my deer management uh endeavors uh growing up as a kid it was just like any other kid i mean i was maybe a little too early for me to legally be able to 
shooting deer out there, but I was, <laughs> and um, it was it was a pretty target rich environment back in those days around our farm. So I had lots of opportunities for not only to harvest deer, kill deer, shoot deer during hunting season, but um, have a lot of interactions uh, with deer, especially uh, somewhere around nine, 10 years old. Um, I started to bow hunt and um, that really drove me deeper into um, my interactions with deer. Um, from there, I started to get more interested in, in, I was fortunate in my early teenage years to kill quite a few uh, decent bucks. And by mid-teenager, I was trying to focus on older age class deer, learn about deer more. How could we get deer to grow bigger? Uh, which was, you know, age, genetics, nutrition were, were what you were learning. Um, keeping your population in check. So I shot a lot, of, a lot of does in my day as a kid, still do to this day. But um all that drove me more to learn about deer and, and specifically uh, deer habitat and, and those type of things. Um, so I started uh, on some of little sections of the farm after get after begging for permission from my uncles and not so much my dad, he was for it, but uh, you know, my uncles, they all had a say and what kind of happened with the land and all that. But I would take little corners of soybean fields, little corners of cornfields or alfalfa fields and started planting little little food plots um, with just different species, some clovers, this and that, trying to learn. Um, you know, being an agricultural country, there wasn't no lack of food for the deer, but it was just, it, it, it connected me to the land in, in the form of, or through the deer connected me to the land through planting those food plots, um, you know, cutting some trees for little, you know, little habitat projects. Um, when I was actually a senior in high school, I don't know if you guys had to do this, but a senior project. Uh, we had at the end of the year, you had to present this project. Well, I didn't. Worked on. I didn't go to school. This is high school. Yeah, I didn't go to high school. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I I uh, I went to uh, I went to tech for most of my high school, like two years of my high school thing. Gotcha. So like my senior project was uh, graduating. Gotcha. Yeah, that was my project too. It wasn't the easiest. <laughs> so, uh, so see, my senior pro we had to do a senior project. You had to present something you were interested in. Basically, I don't remember the details. You know, you had one of those big uh, trifold boards. Mm. Everybody come around. You have to do a pre, and then you have to come in and do a presentation to mm -hmm. I don't know, a principal, some teachers, and all that. Kind of like a checkoff that you know, a project for the end of the year before you graduate. Um, and I did mine on deer and food plots. Mm, that cool. was my senior project. Um, uh, another little tidbit, it, it was in sixth grade, you had a, had a very good teacher. She was Miss Sullivan at the time. Shout out, Miss um, Sullivan. Yeah, she's married now. I don't know her married oh, name. but um, Sullivan. But you had to do a, uh, a she, she basically asked you to do a little project. And then what do you, what do you want to do when you grow up? That type of thing. Again, in sixth grade, it was, it was deer and, and do something with, deer hunting outfitting type of thing and then she mm -hmm. brought that to you your senior year to kind of before you you know either went off to college or went off to work or went That's off to, to tech school and uh, i wish i still had it and i don't but yeah. uh it, it you know just one of those little things and and here i here we are today and i, I owe it all that to my, my family and my dad and, and the investments he made into the property now that we're working on but um uh so going into high school and in my college career it was 
it's all I up uh, late. All I cared about was deer, deer hunting, working on the farms to then be able to have the to feel that I had the right to then go deer hunting after work, you know, after working on the farms and pay your dues type of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's all I cared about. Obviously, got in later high school, girls started to mix. I was just going to say the girls, the girls parts coming. I, it must be. Well, yeah, and sports interfered with it too, which That's, was, uh, yeah. I, I certainly enjoyed sports, but, uh, you know, I wasn't, I played football up until my freshman year of col- or of uh, high school. Um, and I wasn't the fastest kid in the world. And I certainly, I just, football was losing interest to in me. And, but a big part of that was because every Friday and Saturday, you had to be a football practice and Friday after school in the fall, I want to be in the woods. I want to be at the farm Saturday, you know, sun- Pennsylvania couldn't technically hunt Sundays. So Saturdays, you know, I wanted to be hunting in the morning, working during the day, hunting in the evening and uh, not be a football practice or watching football videos or all that. It just wasn't my thing. So stopped playing football, ironically played fall baseball, but that didn't take up as much of the weekends um, during hunting season. So anyway, uh, everything just kind of grew from there. I, I started reading you know, anything I could find on deer, deer management, um, took me into college, which I started in forestry, tried to go into wildlife. Um, but the biggest thing I took from college was I actually took a job or was able to get, it was fortunate to get a job up at the Penn state, uh, deer research facility, um, and kind of learned about the private deer industry. And up until that point, if I'm being full disclosure here, I was one of these kids who thought a high fence was a bad thing. Um, you know, it's, it's the canned honey nonsense. You always hear the, the on, it's not fair chase nonsense that you continue to hear to, the, to this day. It's still a battle we deal with as an industry, but I started to open my mind up and growing up on private land, started to look at this and say, Hey, you know, all these things, my dad, my uncles, me, my brother, my cousins that we were doing on our properties were great for, for deer and, and deer management, but they were starting to cost us money, you know, and, and not that that's bad. Not everyone needs the return on the investment to manage properties, but it was when you start having a big property, the, the bills start adding up. So it started to, how can we, how is this an opportunity to have our own property where we can, um, you know, find some form of financial return on our investments, you know, that we're doing to manage our deer herds and our, and our land. And, um, that led us to looking at, you know, the private deer world and fell in love with it. You know, the breeding's where we started, but it was, our end goal was always to get a property that we can manage privately and, um, have a private deer herd and then bring hunters onto our property that, um, you know, would bring us the financial return to continue to, to, to do what we are doing now. Um, yeah. so that idea stemmed in college and kind of went from there, you know, and uh, we can continue more, but that's kind of the cycle I went through, you know, growing right. up hunting. How many, then, um, how many, uh, VHS tapes with monster bucks 37 did you have? Cause I oh, had, a, I, I had like every real tree, every primos, every mossy oak, like it was just like, video after video and then like dvd came out and i was like wow dvds like this is this is fancy right but like i i uh 
And and speaking of VHSs, uh, I I posted a picture ah, a couple of years ago. I was digging through some old stuff, and I had the uh, Wilderness Whitetails. Um, they did a video catalog each year, and it was like yeah. Wilderness Whitetails 2003, and it was a VHS. And I just yeah. thought that was funny, but yeah, I remember just not being able to get enough deer. Generally, I I had my 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 journey was a little bit later. Like I didn't have um, I didn't have that. I I fished when I was a kid for a long time and i didn't um i uh i didn't start hunting till i was uh 16 17 but i remember um i remember you know of course i worked because i wanted money and um i remember you know buying uh i didn't want binoculars i wanted a spotting scope so i bought this this burris uh spotting scope and I used to walk out of my house and then there was like this concealed uh, ag field, which was like strip corn and hay. And the deer just poured out of the woods because like nobody was back there. Like it was just surround. It was just woods and there was a field there in the middle. And this is like there was a development like half a mile over on the side, but like it was perfect. Right. And it butted right up against the back part of my parents house. So I'd literally walk out the door. I grab the spotting scope and I just go sit over there for hours waiting for the deer to pour out and like i remember watching the bachelor groups of bucks and seeing the fawns come out in the field and like that's how i learned about deer and uh like every night through the summer like every night and then every once in a while you get a a glimpse at a mature buck right like a a three-year-old or older and uh you're just like what is that right like because they were different and like i couldn't i couldn't uh couldn't shake that feeling um and of course like that i I wasn't rifle hunting i was bow hunting so like you sit in a tree stand an awful lot and uh, i never did kill a kill a decent buck over there the first year i shot i was sitting um i was sitting in one of those strips in the corn like two rows back in the corn and this deer walked out it was probably too dark to shoot and I freaking smoked this thing with an arrow and I was just like so pumped. And it was just a little tiny three point. And I got a picture of me with like my Afro curly hair from way, back, way back in the day. And like 85 pounds lighter. Cause I was just a skinny, skinny twig in high school. And like, you know, like I'll never forget that experience. Like that was, that's, that's intense. Right. Yeah. I didn't get into the management side of things, um, but I couldn't let go of the deer itself right? Like it just, there's this, and I think a lot of people have the same experience where like they interact, everybody interacts with deer differently, but like they just, they want more, right? They're just, they're addicting. They're addicting animals to be around. Um, and that, that led me into, uh, into like the deer farming side of things. And like, you know, I, I, I just kind of got it right. Like I just, I was, I was invited to a family member's, uh, farm and I was just like, how do I, how do I do this? Right. Like I can do this. And of course, you know, it wouldn't have happened without hunting. Right. And, and we have, um, we have similar experiences, but yours, um, yours highlighted a lot of the management side of things. I think, um, you know, given the circumstances that you had some little bit of farm ground that you like could play with a little bit for lack of a better term. Um, I'm curious how that's shaped, um, you know, what, what you do today or, or, or how that has affected, you know, what you do today, those, those previous experiences. 
it, it shaped everything. It my desire to learn more about habitat, um, whether that be you know open ground in fields or native native uh, plants and fields or timber management, what's best for deer. Um, it 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 it, uh, it led to all of that to just continue to educate myself. Um, unfortunately, educating myself on those things, those weren't my classes in school. So it, it certainly was a challenge there for me in uh, my educational realm, my, my formal education. But uh, when, when dad and our family, we were able to uh, purchase the property that we're on now, it, it was, it was kind of like a blank, blank canvas and all these things that I was learning and I've learned so much. I continue to learn. I, I hope I continue to learn every day. But uh, it allowed me to, the desire to educate myself on the management helped me develop this property to what it is now and what we hope it continues to be and, and develop it even more into the next, you know, my lifetime. Um, it, it, uh, it, yeah. I guess that's it, it. It all it all led me into what we're doing now, in a sense. I guess I need more more direction from you, Josh. No, uh, <laughs> you don't. You don't need direction from me. Um, <laughs> I, I'm 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 learning on the uh, the yeah. management side of things. I I wonder. So, um, I think many of the many of the journeys for for the people I know um, end up, you know, starting with that kind of deer farm. And you had mentioned. Um, the Penn State facility, which is one of the oldest deer facilities in the country, um, started back in the 50s. And, you know, between, I, I want to say, um, uh, Mississippi, uh, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, and Texas, like, those were the old core core facilities. And I know Missouri has one, and there's a few other states, sure. but like, those, those original ones, um, that was kind of the place. And, of course, the, the dynamics have changed uh, over the years. Um, obviously, you know, Bob, Bob Mothersbaugh was, was a big part of that. Uh, shout out to Bob. I, I know you're not listening, but like, I, I do get to see you once a year at the, the PA event and, you know, he's getting, he's getting up there in, in, uh, in age for sure. I don't, he's gotta be in his late seventies now, um, or, or, or older. And, you know, he, um, he cut his teeth on a lot of the, the private deer management aspects of, of what we have today and what we do and, and was kind of a trailblazer there. Um, so thanks to him. And I know, um, Don has been there, um, Don Wagner, that is. Um, so when, when he's, I think he's over 20 years now, he's been there, I think. Um, when did you, when did you go? When did I go? Um, <laughs> let's dox you. Let's dox your age. 2000, I think I worked there 2006, seven and eight. Gotcha. Yeah. And Dom was, I, I never, I knew Bob, but I never worked with Bob. Yep. It was Don, Dom was there. So, so I think Don was at least there since 2003 or five, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. At so least. That's, so he's I mean, pushing that's, 20 years plus. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, Don, um, we're getting these numbers wrong, but Don yeah, was, Don was influenced. Don, uh, just again, shout out to Don Wagner. He, yep. um, he, that student, he gave me a lot of opportunity to learn, you know, I take weekends, hours and weekend. He, you know, he kind of, you know, not get, not give us free reign, but, you know, do your jobs. But then if you want to sit here and, and I remember sitting in his office, looking at some deer catalogs um, and learning a lot about the genetic side of things. 
uh, bring you back to maybe the question more clarification. You know, when I when I went to Penn State and started to realize um, the genetic side of things. Now, Penn State was a research center. Uh, they did back at least back then they were they were selling animals and I was part of that process, too. But I was mainly a research center. And no, it was a, it was 100 100 percent a research center. Um, whatever the research of the day was that they were doing at the university, you know, we, I was part of some of those projects, but the, the management we were talking about, the land management, the food plots, the learning, the habitat that is needed for quality, um, healthy, big deer, um, and, and what that takes to do it, that collided with these genetics that were in these pens, in the research pens. And then what I learned was in some of these breeding operations. So it stemmed me to think and learn more of okay so i can i could take a piece of property and big deer i don't care who says what everybody like loves big deer there's context in big deer I, if, if you're if you have 100 i've said this before if you have 100 acres of free range and 120 inch deer is a big deer to you great um and, and that, that's that's great i'm not knocking any of that but uh you could take these genetics and basically take a piece of property and combine the two and now you're working with a different baseline of, um, you know, now we might have 180 inch three-year-olds or 200 inch three-year-olds or, you know, 200 inch four-year-olds, whatever, whatever your goals are um, for your property, you can, you can now take it and, and kind of not collided those two worlds, but, you know, my two worlds collided with working at the pens, loving to manage, learning to love and have the opportunity to manage uh, private land. Um, it really took off during those college years of, of, of just, you know, start or whatever you call it, just uh, things just blowing up in my head of ideas and here and there, and then having the fortune to drive 35 minutes down the road and be on the property that we're on now and just start brainstorming, you know, and um, eventually work it into, to actually combining those two worlds and building breeding pens and, and getting a high fence around 600 of our acres right now and um, developing that land for trophy deer. It, it, uh, it really, it really took off in college, the mental side for me, like the, the, I guess, you know, they say, you know, you need to find something to apply yourself to in, in life. And I found it in college. It wasn't what they were teaching me, but I certainly had the opportunities around me to, to let that take off. Those um, ideas take off. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so do you think, I know that, um, I know you guys have been working on the, uh, on the property for, you know, 15 some odd years now. Um, when you, when you like, when you look at that, you had mentioned like blank canvas, right. And, and you see this, um, how do you, how do you look at that land and, and say like, here's some of the things that I can do to help achieve my goals, whether that be, you know, timber harvests or, um, you know, adding some, some, you know, deer management facilities. Um, what, what does that, what does that look like? And, and, you know, maybe I, I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I guess, look at a, a piece of property and say, okay, like, how can I, how can I, uh, I have this vision for what I would like, right? And that, that is to be able to manage a, a private herd of deer. Um, how does one kind of work through that process? Or how did you do it that you you think is, uh, you know, an effective way uh, to look at it? I, I think 
and sometimes this is hard with um, at least some of the kids I went to school with from a wildlife side point. It, it, it's a, um, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of students would go into government jobs or government management, you know, the government herds or the wild herds, whatever I choose to call them government herds these days. Um, I like that. Uh, so, which is fine, but you know, sometimes the biggest hurdle is this is a private business now. So this is going to be a private business. Now I had the capital behind me to, to develop what we wanted to develop or, or you know, to start developing uh, our property and to, and, the, and to be able to work on this property, but it had to be a business. So that's just in the back of your mind, this is a business. This isn't play. This isn't, this isn't just managing uh, wild deer for the family to hunt, you know, and being a huge cost. This has got to be a, eventually be a profit inducing you know endeavor so i i I, you look at the property and say okay from i'm gonna from the habitat or from the land side of it kind of what do we have what do we want and what's so what's what do we have what do we want and what's missing to get us to where we want um i knew we wanted fields i knew we wanted uh you know food plots in a sense but you know we wanted food plots. I still, I tend to call them fields now. It's not food plots seems to be a smaller scale, half acre, quarter acre, but it's all the same thing in my, in my mind. But so look at the land. We looked at the terrain. We started just looking at topographics, um, drawing lines around what looked to be generally, we don't really have any flat ground here except a couple spots, small spots in our bottoms, but it's rolling ridges, rolling hills. So trying to look at areas on the, on the topo map of what's generally kind of farmable or what can we, and then, then get on the ground and walk those areas, envision what you're trying to envision field here or whatnot. And then you start working on timber contracts is what we did. So timber was a big bringing in a timber company or or forestry company, a land company. And, uh, meeting with them, looking at the same topography, telling them what our goals are, here's what we want, and then having them go in, do the clear cuts around the fields. We also worked in, you know, some some select harvest in there uh, for, also for deer management, for regeneration, uh, you know, uh, young successional type of, of, of forest and habitat. And infrastructure was a big part of that, road infrastructure. Okay, you're going to have this property, but how can we get tractors into this food plot? How can we get, you know, whatever it is, how can we traverse this piece of property? There were some trails on it, but all, but the timber came in, the logging roads, as we're developing it, the logging roads were developing kind of our, our um, infrastructure to then get later on lime trucks in here to, to spread lime. So we're not wasting money on bag lime or this or that, you know, we get big trucks in here, get the lime, get the fertilizer in those fields. So you just started looking at what is needed, um, and what do we got to do to achieve that? Um, then it led us into genetics, which was the genetics was the first infrastructure project we did. You know, we, we found a spot, we did some clear cutting. One of those clear cuts we made into our, well, they clear cut it. Dad and I came in with our machine, with rented machines or old machine we had started clearing the stumps, developing the breeding pens so that we could start creating our own genetics that then would, would be the, the, base genetic source that we would use to restock to stock and repopulate um the property that we were eventually going to fence 
Um, so all that played in. Another big timber project came when we fenced the, 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 it's like 550, but with the breeding pens, we have a total about 600 acres that we have fenced. Another timber project was, where's our fence lanes gonna be? What's to eat? Where's, where's the most sensible part to run our fence line? I didn't want, I didn't necessarily want our fence lines right on the property line. It just, it just felt like that'd be a problem. However, there's some areas we had to be kind of close to the property line, but then cutting uh, sections of timber, say 150 feet on each side of our, of our center line, which is center line was gonna be our fence to then help us manage with not worrying about trees falling down or this or that. Um, we, we weren't able to achieve that 100%, but we achieved it, you know, on 80% of our fence line, we, we cut whether we don't necessarily have to worry about trees falling on it. Um, to kind of answer your question, just got to start about looking at the topography, looking at what we need, and then um, and then just start doing it, pulling the trigger and, and yeah. going after it. Um, so like you guys, you could have, you could have taken a, a different, a different stance, right? You could have looked at the property and said, um, you know, we can, we can take, you know, 50 acres over here and, you know, we can develop it. We can put a couple houses on it and we could sell it. Right. And you, you decided that, um, this property was something that you wanted to conserve, um, and, and intensely manage, have habitat, which is developed specifically for the whitetail deer. Um, you used the existing, uh, timber, that was available for, you know, for a funding mechanism, uh, as well as, um, you know, working on your, um, your genetics and, and building out a deer facility for, you know, call it stage three or four of, of, uh, stocking the property. And I, I, I find that, um, I find that, uh, really interesting that, you know, you guys chose not to go the development route or the, the, um, you know, like annex route where you're maybe you sell off a little piece of the property to someone else with, without your control. Can you, can you talk about like, you know, one of the reasons that you thought that that wasn't a route you wanted to go? Like, why did you choose to, to I go? There? I don't mean to contradict you, but, uh, we, we did in a very small scale, um, choose to offer our neighbors, some some bordering ground hmm. we had one neighbor farm that um you know he kind of always wanted to have 100 acres i think he was at like 81 or something like that and we also with, with most of our neighbors we kind of shared hey here's our idea here's what we're going to do um you know not that we needed to do that hindsight we probably shouldn't have done it with some of them but hmm. uh we we did and uh so we did sell off maybe it, it was just shy of 1600 acres is, is what we have here. And uh, right now we're at just over 1500. So between a couple of landowners, we did sell. Uh, we did subdivide a couple lots. We did not sell them, um, but it was one of those, it's funding mechanisms to try and preserve and conserve as much of this land as we possibly could. You know, we, we, we certainly had other funding mechanisms besides that, you know, there was multiple sources of income sure. or, or rev, you know, that were to help them pay for this property. Yep. Um, the habitat improvement started to help us to, uh, the, the timber income did start helping us to develop the actual property itself and not have to keep pulling out of our pockets to develop these fields, to develop where our breeding pens are. So all that plays into it. But the, to your to your main point, and I, we we didn't want to sell, we don't want to, at this point, we don't, we don't want to sell 
anything that we have if we can continue to do what we do. And the private deer herds are helping us to generate income to have to me to have a full time job to put improvements into the property and then help a little bit on top of that with you know the landowners, yeah. which which is my family. But I guess uh, I guess my my and I think you summed it up. But my my general point was is like you could have took half that property and punched a bunch of roads in on it and had, you know, 300 house development on that. Yeah. Over, over the last hill, 20, right. Or, yep. Over the last 18 years, we could have, we could have broke this up into a thousand homes. Well, not, you know, we could have broke it up. However yeah. that would actually look like, but it, it could have been broken up. There could be 50 houses, a hundred houses, little farmettes, little this or that. Um, it was our intention, dad's intention, um, certainly to have a, a big piece of property and keep it intact. But yeah, we're, we're, I grew up in a business family. This isn't a, this isn't going to be, it was for a few years, but it's not going to continue to be a money pit for the rest of our lives. We're, you know, it's not just a, uh, it's an investment into the land and keeping the land intact mm. and uh, based on deer, private deer and, you know, and, and, and wildlife and hunting. And uh, yeah. So yeah, talk, talk about little- land private deer and hunting was is, is where we're at now and that's where we we are trying to continue to build on that yeah gotcha um so talk a little bit about the maybe the difference um yeah you obviously have all this habitat creation that you're you're you know you're doing these timber harvests you're putting fields in um but i'd like to focus on the on the deer themselves and and what they can provide for that land um you know, not only from, from a enjoyment standpoint, but, but also from a financial one and, and how that works to, to really preserve that, that property. Uh, it's, it's hunter dollars that come into our property, come into this, this, this high fence estate, whatever you want to call it, our private uh, high fence property with a private deer herd. Those hunter dollars come into our, our, our land and they stay here. Uh, we can utilize those dollars to continue um, to develop, expand, and actively manage this property for our deer herds. Mm. Yeah, and good, healthy, good, healthy property, good, healthy land is a goal. You know, we're we're not overrunning this thing, but the deer, through the genetics that we've been able to establish on this property and continue to um, stock onto these properties or this property properties, hopefully in the future um brings the dollars to allow us to do it it, it brings us a, it brings me a, a livelihood um hopefully in the future it'll bring an assistant or a second person into this that can have another livelihood off us so there's 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 jobs um but the deer being that they're privately owned which i know is the controversial part sometimes um which i don't see any controversy and i think it, it's a great thing for private landowners to have the choice to go in and establish all this infrastructure we talked about and then bring genetics into this property to increase the value of the animals that are being hunt, increase the value of the experience when these guys come in to harvest and hunt uh, some of the big bucks that we, we end up producing on this property. Um, and that's dollars. done, it's that's simple. done it's, with a fence. It, it's done with a fence. I, I, you know, again, I, I, I'm not, I'm not against any free range, private free range properties managing wild herds of course not you have Um, some don't you yes right (laughs) it's a money pit (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, not a money pit. It's you know, there's value in in yes. the love of hunting, the love of deer. I'm not taking that. Yeah, away yeah. I I got the joke. <laughs> <laughs> but on a big scale, you know, five six hundred acres, a thousand acres, being a boat owner. Acres. <laughs> yeah but when you get into that bigger scale of, of yeah. i don't know which everyone it's it's relative for everyone but 500 acres a thousand acres you know we hope to be a thousand acres plus into the future of, of private of, of land managed for private deer um that's that's to actively manage that not just not just let it sit idle and hope we go out and put a tree stand up and see a deer you can do that so I'm, I'm not against keep saying i'm not against i'll just stay away from that the, the positives are um are actively managing it costs money mm. you know we have a tractor we have a planner we have the fuel that goes in that we have uh excavating equipment to maintain our roads you know we're we're when we build you know build new fields this and that yes we have some income coming in from timber to help us but actively managing that property costs money um so what was the uh, what was the point of well the we were talking about how the, how deer facilitate these things all oh, right it's and it goes back to it's it's, it's dollars it's it's being that they are private on the wild side the government side of the deer herds in pennsylvania it's hard it's hard to start an outfitting business and actually uh especially the type of income the gross income that we're generating through our hunting properties it's it's hard to do that on the free range side you know up in pennsylvania with the it the DMAP tags, Deer Management Assistance Program, which I, we still get um, on our free range properties. I don't know if it's still this way, but I know at least three years ago, if you bought those tags and or you, didn't, you, you got those tags, you applied for those tags and say, you know, we, we would get like 20 for our property. Mm-hmm. If I, I could, you, I could give you two of those, you'd go pay 10 bucks for a coupon. But if you would, char- if I was charging you to hunt that property, I was no longer eligible for those tags. So it's control. It's a state control. It, it, look at control however you want, but it was control on cheap access, maintaining cheap access for hunters to have on whether that's state land or, or private land. So that's just one example. It's, a, it's the size of the deer. I mean, let's be very blunt that the genetics have allowed us to increase that baseline like i've talked about of our of our of our herd and when i say increase the baseline the size and quality of the antlers um that's the attractive part for our hunters they want to come hunt big deer big mature deer um and with our fence and with our herd we can we can do that at a at a much better than we could do it if we didn't have that fence and we didn't have that management uh control um on the private side of things I see a beautiful deer over your shoulder. I'm assuming that's the kind of quality that you're talking about. Yeah, we point out before. Yeah, in the yeah. same position as the last podcast. Yeah, no, he's he's. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. I, um, yep, I, I certainly, you know, going back into the deer side of things or the the antler size of things, we'll shoot a couple 300 inch deer each year, but a few. I don't, I don't. The 180 to 250 three and four year old bucks generally a, a just a good looking good looking deer you know yeah. guys that it fits the property that we've created gotcha. you know I, I i don't want to get too deep into that but you know there's certain deer i see out there that just don't fit the vision for what we have here and i think our hunters would see that you know as well if if we um put those type of genetics influx those genetics into our herd so when you um when you look at your 
um, your clients, maybe not the ones you have, but the ones you want to get. Um, and you, you look at the, you look at the hunting world generally, um, is it, are, are they coming to your place for the experience? Like what, what is that? Like, what, what's your kind of take on how you feel your, your clients or potential clients interact with you? Like what, why, why, why are they coming to, you know, Powder Ridge to, to come hunt? Like, what is it that draws them, um, to what you do? A big deer is the draw, but then once you get them to talk to you, whether that's a phone call, an email, um, at a show and they see that mount or something like that, um, that's attractive to them and they walk up and talk to you, then, then it's the, it's the property. It's the experience of the hunt. I'm very, I'm proud of the fact that every year that we've been doing this, which we're only into four years now with the hunting side, with our hunting, with actually bringing hunters on, uh, paid clients onto our property, um, I'm proud that every every single year we've brought at least uh, one hunter that has never hunted behind a fence onto our property, and we've kept them. They might not be able to afford to come every year, but they're they might try every other year, or you know every third year. But they're in contact all the time. Hey, how are things going? You know, it's it's the experience, and it's they come onto the the property, and the fence disappears like that in their minds. You know, then it's about oh man, look at this food plot, look at this field. And, and we both have a mutual buddy in, in Tim who guides with me and he always gives me grief. We're joking, but it's a friendly back and forth, but I'm always talking with clients. Here's why I did this timber cut. Here's what I'm thinking for this field next year. Or this field over here might look like shit because I'm experimenting with something. Excuse sure. my language, but might look like crap mm. because I'm experimenting with something. And that interaction with the land, obviously the deer is, is if the deer aren't there, the bills aren't getting paid. But they're hunting, man. They're coming on and, and they, they see what we're doing. We're honest about what we're doing and, um, and they have a great experience and they just want to come back. It, it, it's going not to get into controversial issues, but like the, the saying it's not fair chase or this canned hunt nonsense that you hear sometimes. I know some of these guys are skeptical, but they want to try it. All that disappears. They're like, this is, this is, this is better than I ever thought it could be. That's not everything, you know, but that's most of our guys that came in. There's some guys that we have who've hunted multiple high fences and there's, there's different clients, different mentalities on things, but uh, the deer are here, but I think our land and the experience um, of the hunt sells itself once I get them on here. You know, I, I guess I, I'm not the best salesman, but I, the passion I have for what we're doing, yeah, I hope shines through to these guys, you know? Yeah. And, and the honesty that we try and tell them, you know, that, you know, it, it's in our high fence world, there's, there's certainly different types of operations on the hunting side of things in a sense and how things are managed. Um, and I, I just be honest with them. And, and so far, knock on wood, it's, it's, we're, we're slowly a consistent, slow growth. And that's all I can ask for, you know, yeah. um, no, I don't I, ever I just... want to, I don't ever not to interrupt you. Like we, um, and the honesty part of it, like there, this isn't a guaranteed hunt. We've, we have high success rates. We manage for high success. Let me not, let me not try and hide any of that. We manage for high success. Um, but I tell a guy, if you're coming in here and you think that, Hey, I'm going to go pick this deer out or pick that deer out of a, of a catalog when they show up here, I want this one, save that one for me. We don't do that. You know, we hunt, we have early season rut and late season and later in the season, less opportunity. And it, it, there's some discounts in that, but uh, guys, it, it's a hunt. 
I don't know how else to explain it. It's, it's, the, yeah. it's a real deal. There's a fence there. There's deer here. We have the genetic, we brought the genetics in and supplement our genetics to continue to produce big deer and, and have opportunities, continued opportunities for big deer through our stocking and our genetics. Yep. And, um, no one's going to tell me or my hunters that's not fair chase. Yeah. They I can try. Sure. But, it doesn't, but they're not, they ain't paying, they ain't spending their money with me. So I can care less what they think. Yeah. It's, I, I think you made a really interesting point and I think it's something to, it's worth highlighting is that the, the hunts aren't guaranteed. And while you have a high success rate, it's, it's not, um, you know, I kind of look at it like, um, some of the, uh, the kind of coveted, um, you know, sheep or mountain goat or moose tags, like those outfitters out there, um, they pride themselves in, in having a, you know, a high, high percentage of harvest because they're, these are, you know, once in a lifetime, they can be once in a lifetime tags. Um, they're special animals. It's a special experience. And I, I, it sounds to me like you're providing that as well, but it's not guaranteed. Like if, if like, it's not guaranteed. I that's, and I think that's a really, uh, great point to to stress that you guys go out and you get after it and like you do everything you can to, you know, use your, your, your tools at your disposal and the food plots and, um, you know, your game cams and, and scouting and all the time and effort you put into it. But like you get skunked, like you get skunked. It's not, this isn't, no. I, I no. you know, I like to blow that, that notion out of the water that um, for, for some reason, this isn't a, a fair chase environment. It certainly is. Uh, it meets all the qualifications and it's beautiful, right? So like you, you get to be an artist for your land, which is, which is, um, we, we put a tremendous. fence around this. We put a fence around this property to make this habitat better our deer better and our hunting experiences better period. The qual the quality, this was not about quantity for us. It's about high, extremely high quality land management and, and, and deer management. Um, that, that's just what we we've said from the beginning and we're sticking with it i didn't i didn't we didn't fence this property to overpopulate it and make it a, a, a less quality of the property that's outside of our fence you know i always joke around i said if i'm doing my job the deer outside of my fence would, would be begging to get in if they could speak to me you know that's just <laughs> kind of how i look at it you know, keeps me focused on the quality that happens inside it or the quality that i attempt to achieve behind this fence if you look at your your property um post call it whatever 2006 or seven or eight or whatever sorry pre pre 2006 seven or eight um is there is there another species that you could have run like to to generate the type of uh revenue which allows you to to manage this property um such as a cow or a goat or a, i mean is there another kind of traditional livestock species that you think you could do that with no um, it doesn't exist right no, it doesn't like exist. so like the we're property not, we're not in farm country yeah it, ex no. it exists because the white-tailed deer the the opportunity existed because the white-tailed deer yes gotcha yeah. gotcha yeah. that's that's interesting i i i know that there you know if you look at pennsylvania as a whole you know obviously agriculture is a it's, a, it's the largest industry that we have um, in the state. Um, but if you look at it, we have a pretty diverse um, geographical mix of, of farmland and, and more mountain style settings. Um, you know, we have a big chunk of the Appalachian that runs through Pennsylvania. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm in that range, you're in that range. And, um, you know, deer is, deer is, it's the only species that, that can thrive in that area. And of course, you know, we're fortunate because we have like Pennsylvania has a, a long, a long, long standing hunting tradition, um, and heritage in our state. And, um, we're able to use a, you know, use a, a species to, you know, help preserve that, that land for, for a long time. Um, and that's, that's really a, that's really a great thing. Um, curious, uh, I was having a conversation with, uh, another gentleman and we were talking about how our businesses, um, interact with the local economies and, and kind of the importance of that, because I know when you look at a, let's just say, a you know, a traditional office building, you know, you might order, you know, a, a skitta printer paper from, from Amazon or something like that. And it shows up, but can you, can you talk about why, um, farming and ranching in, in a very localized setting is important to, you know, the surrounding local economies and maybe how you interact with, you know, various vendors and stuff like that. Cause I, I really find that part interesting. Well, I don't mean to be too general about this because it's a lot of this, the uh, same as any private business that is working within their local or pulling from their local economy and community for resources. Um, obviously we have the construction sector, whether that's electricians, HVAC guys, con or general contractors, builders coming in and helping us with improvements, helping us with the additions that we want to do. And well, continue to do, we've done a bunch, continue to do, um, uh, my fertilizer guys, my lime guys, they're all part of that agricultural community. And this, this, you know, some people like that. We, we tend to sometimes refer to our industry as a non-traditional livestock industry. The biggest part for me is working with all these vendors and, and, the, and the community is the same thing with my hunters is to, is to tell them what we do, mm. bring them into what we do. You know, how many times you're like, Oh, you got a high fence. You just, you just, you know, the same nonsense I brought up before and you get them here, even, even the most, you know, some of them try to hide it, but they, they can't hide it as good as they think they can, how cynical they are <laughs> towards what we do. Yeah. Um, the, the cabin, the house I live in now that, that builder that helped us build that he, um, he was one of those guys, good guy, but, uh, you know, he just, he just hit all, he had lots of questions, answered all his questions, but he certainly was no fan of the idea of the high fence um, when it came to hunting. Big time hunter, loves to hunt. I think I'm pretty sure we brought him back to uh, at least a neutral position. Not for me, but man, that's great what you guys are doing. Take him for a drive, you know, as we grew and, and, and did more projects, you know, most of the people, not all the people, most of the people want to jump in a ranger and take a ride. I'll show you what we do, you know? And, uh, so you connect them with what you're doing and show them the truth about what you're doing. So when, you know, we're, you, you know, better than anyone that we have some haters in that are trying to influence our government right now to, to, um, put us out of business, plain and simple. And, uh, ironically, they're, they're dear people too, but, uh, they, when they hear what they say, all you got to do is bring them on the property. All you got to do, all you got to do is show them what we're doing. Like, oh, well, that's what they said. I'm like, I know what they said is false. I know what they portrayed as what we do is false. So let me show you. Mm -hmm. And nine, 
point nine times out of ten, I think I could bring someone to neutral that's willing to be brought to neutral. Let's 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 sure. preface that. They got to be willing to. It's um, so working with the community. The biggest part that I've taken out of besides the financial resources that we pumped as a as a generally a small business, not generally a small business that we've pumped into the community through the deer and the deer hunting. Um, that's important to their businesses. It's important to our business. But for me, the public perception that you, if you're doing a quality operation, I don't care what business that is, but for us, it's the deer and the private deer that we're talking about. If I focus on quality, you're never, you're never hesitant to share it with people. Um, so the biggest thing I've taken from that is to be able to share what we do with these people that we're working with in the community. And um, not to say they're going to come home with us. It's not about sure. that. It's just about you're picking on that guy. Then you start gaining a force that defends you from this nonsense that we hear constantly. What's interesting is uh, that guy said the exact same thing that you just said. Oh, he, yeah. just, he just said that like at first cool. there were people that, um, he interacted with that were, you know, kind of anti high fence. Right. And, um, he said that over the years, as he interacted with them and he kept telling the story about what he did and showing them as they interacted with his property, um, and himself, they're now friends and they understand it and they support it. And, um, building allies. there's, there's community there. Right. Like he, he, that, that, and that's, this is the beauty of the whitetail deer. There is so much community, good community that surrounds the whitetail deer because we all have this common interest and we interact, we all interact in different ways, but like, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And that ties us together. And the thing that really, that I find very challenging is that in like in today's day and age where we have, you know, call it a lot of turmoil in the world. However, that affects you. We have hunters fighting hunters. Yeah. Right. 4% of the population in the United States identifies as a hunter 4%, right? Obviously there's a much smaller segment that, um, is involved in the call it high fenced, um, you know, management or high fence industry. Um, and, and, and there's, there's this hate amongst those groups. And I think if we, if we can take a step back and look at um, the positive effects and changes that we make on um, our local economies, our local communities and society as a whole, we could get past this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, if, if you take those outliers out, you know, those extremes, which unfortunately right now, some of those outliers are in positions of power, yep. um, whether that's to uh, nonprofit conservation organizations or our state agencies. Um, you take them out 99% of the time you can, we're going to, I'm going to, on this issue of, of, of telling about what we do, they're, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, I want to say supportive, they're going to support me if anything uh, goes negative for me and somebody's trying to attack me. Um, the unfortunate part is you have these outliers who try to influence and, and get at the, pull the heartstrings of people, you know, our biggest issue as we, as you know, is, is, I didn't even want to talk about it on this episode because it's a downer, but chronic wasting disease. Yeah. So certain people trying to hinder our business are using the tool of chronic wasting disease to put us out of business. Down to the core, it's not about the disease. 
it's about control. It's about government control. It's about looking at things one way, and that's the only way. And uh, they're just wrong. Yeah. You know, they're just totally wrong. And uh, the people, it, we have so much more in common. You're exactly right. We love managing deer. We love managing habitat. Now, we all, on both sides, should be good examples of, of what we do. You know, there's bad examples on both sides. And sure. I, I think we can all always be better. I'm working hard. to. I'm, I, I can be better. I'm obviously can be better. That sounds but I, I certainly work every day to be better and think about things to be better, not only for presenting my own business, but presenting myself to the community and presenting myself to my industry, you know, and uh, I don't but, know why there has to be sides. Why yeah, is there sides? Bad. Right. Yeah, like, it's, it's, again, it's, it's the it's the hunters government. fighting hunters thing. And like, well, why is there a big government small? This is a, to me, it's a big government, small government issue. Yeah, uh, people want to shut us down and have control. It's big government. They they might think they're small government people, some of the particular individuals in these conservation organizations, um, but they're big government people. Government controls it. Government should have say in how certain populations of animals are managed, and there should be no private ones of these, but there can be private ones of these. It's to me, it's a big government, small government issue, and they're trying to and they're taking that political angle, in my opinion, yeah. and separating us using certain tools, whatever tool they can think is the tool of their time period to try and shut us down let's circle back to a, a thing i was just kind of popped in my head um so we don't talk about chronic wasting disease yeah um, sorry yeah. it's no no it's okay um <laughs> it you know it's 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 something that we can't escape right sure and we're like and it is, we'll it is on this. it is it's incredibly important we, it's an issue we're all dealing with on both sides of the fence and I can, I can, I'll speak from our inside our, our private deer herds and inside our fences. We're working tirelessly as an industry to solve the issue, period. We don't want it either. Done. Yep. I'm done. And it's, it's, done through <laughs> sci it's done through science and not emotion, which I correct. think is absolutely, really, absolutely really correct. key, right? Like uh, we I are, guess I'll go one more. And they're trying to shut us down before we figure that science out because it's not about the disease. It's about their ideology. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm take a breath. breath. Let's a just breath. take a breath, quick, and uh, <laughs> circle. We're gonna circle away from that. Um, Back to what we love to do. Yeah. So I was thinking about, I was thinking about the, the idea of habitat management and how, and how these properties are really intensely managed for really high quality um, deer. But there's a ton of benefit for other animals too, I would assume. Can you touch on that from your experience? Oh, 100%. Um, uh, ecotourism, I guess, is a good way to explain it as another segment of um, an industry that we're, we're, we're hoping to tap into in the future as we, as we continue to expand the opportunities on this property. And let's just say the non-deer non species on the property, um, songbirds, reptiles, uh, you know, we got a good turkey population. That's a hunting side of things. Got too, alligators? No, we don't. <laughs> I'm thinking, <laughs> we walk our streams, walk our ponds. You know, the 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 fish, the 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 life that we're creating on. I'm speaking for our property. Um, is continuing to get better. And although the the focus is white-tailed deer. I didn't mm -hmm. focus on this for bumblebees. I didn't focus on this for, you know, a scarlet tanager, or I didn't focus on this for any other bird, bird species. However, in the back of my mind, 
the, the projects I'm doing to improve the whitetail habitat, I also want them to improve the land and the habitat for all the other species that are going to utilize that on this property, whether that's migratory species coming in and out um, or local species that are here. Um, diversity is always better, in my opinion, and having healthy land, healthy habitat, doing these projects to improve, maintain, preserve different types of habitat, um, which is a consistent, that's why I say active management, it's cons you're consistently doing stuff to maintain certain stages of whether it's whatever you're working on from a habitat perspective, um, is, should be benefiting the whole ecosystem. And I think having the ability to take these private, take these dollars that are, that are, uh, come from managing a private deer herd allows us to keep them local here on this specific property and continue to actively manage for, for, I guess, strong biodiversity, um, in species and quality, not just, not just animal species, timber species, or, you know, plant species, I guess is what I'm looking yeah. at trees. Like, um, if you're doing a good job, all that should be improving. And, and as you constantly, you know, manage that. So, um, it, it for me, our property is doing that job. Even our, even our food plots, our fields. Um, I, I grew up and I'm not, a, I'm not from a, from a farming perspective, a, a cash crop perspective, I grew up around monocultures, soybeans, corn, wheat, alfalfa is what we farm in our farms back home. And that's, that's because we're, we're cash cropping. Um, and I kind of used to put that into my food plot systems up until like the last six or five or six years. Um, I'm all a polyculture, all multi-species, you know, six, seven, eight different species in one field. Um, and although, again, focuses on deer, but I do let some of these species mature, they flower, they're pollinators now. Now we got bees, we got insects, we got the birds, we got, it's just this, uh, not only does the, the property create a smorgasbord, as my dad likes to call it, we got a smorgasbord out there for the deer everything's benefiting off of that if i'm properly managing and if i continue to be able to have the the, the financial resources to actively manage uh this piece of ground yeah hundred hundred it's all private dollars this isn't government dollars yeah. this isn't this isn't grants this isn't that this is private dollars i don't need to suck off our government to do it or or you know it, i'm not knocking it. i'm just saying it's 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 all through private dollars private hundred hundred you you said hundred dollars are you hundred dollars private deer you wrote it yeah you you i wrote it down because i thought it was good a uh, hundred dollars come in and they stay here and they allow you to to do so much with that that property um and the you know, like, that has different. that has a lasting effect um yeah. you know like it's not we're not talking like those hundred dollars come in and you know you go out and you you know you buy a new f-350 or something like that although obviously you need to have farm vehicles but like the, the money goes back into the property for its advancement and its long-term sustainability. And, and as we grow, we continue to scale that up. And that's awesome. The more you scale it up, the more money you need to manage it. To take that away from us, you there's not you can't do nearly as much as what we're doing today. You yeah. couldn't. Not without draining, not without a consistent drain on whatever. If you can afford to have a consistent drain or need that drain, if you have that much income coming in, that's I'm not knocking that, but it uh yeah this yeah we don't we don't we don't begrudge success here we no we, we don't uh, we we, we, we applaud we it 
We and don't. if and if anybody wants to um, take their money and keep dumping it into their their land and and hunting and all the, the things that go around that, uh, we're we're all for that. We're two yeah. we're two thumbs up for that. Um, Capitalism all around. Amen to that. Um, so I I think um, I think in in wrapping up because I I I, I do want to wrap up here. Um, you know I think the the idea that um, that deer can be used for, um, you know, co call it conservation. And that can mean so much to, to different people. Um, but done so in a way that, uh, really has a, a localized effect on an area, uh, because of the management tool, which is a fence, um, really can't be understated. And, and it's through those, those two things, right. Through the idea that, um, you know, we're using the fence as a, a management tool, not only to keep uh, superior quality deer within a certain area, but to keep the unwanted deer out. Um, it, it provides for all those additional things that we, we talked about here with the habitat management, which ultimately affects a wide variety of, of other species, which is good for the land. It's good for the people that live around there. Um, and I, I just... I think it's a great story to tell. So I appreciate you joining me and, and discussing some of these things. I, I would, would hope, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'll say yes, but if you say no, that's fine. Um, that you'll, you'll come back and we'll, we'll continue to explore these, these types of things. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, I'll leave it. Just last thought is, is on a political side of things is the, the private deer, in Pennsylvania are considered livestock and they need to stay that way for us to continue to maintain and what we're doing. And anything that attacks that is um, an attack on not just my livelihood, but the, the, the hundreds of families across this, this Commonwealth that are, are doing what we do. And, I, and it's, it's all good, but um, just, we all need to keep that in mind. And I appreciate you having me on. And obviously I'd be on until they get tired of listening to me. We'll see if well, your downloads get less or more when I'm on. We'll see. Well, I I uh, I screen your hate mail. Uh, oh yeah, gets sent to me. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. Uh, Jared, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, thanks, man. We'll Appreciate it. We'll, we'll do it again soon. And with that, stay tuned for another episode of North American Deer Talk. <laughs>